0: Welcome to the Executive Minds Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Welcome Executive Minds Podcast listeners. Uh, This is Kevin here with you, and I'm privileged to be spending some time with my good friend and co-mentor, David Farmer. David, how's it going?
1: I'm doing great, and it's always uh, an awesome experience to be with you, Kevin.
0: Hey, it's a pleasure, my friend. And we're doing this remotely. So I'm in Nashville right now. You are in Atlanta right, right. now. So the power of technology allows us to be together, which is great. Um, and today we have a really great episode for everyone who's listening. Uh, this t- Around this time last year, David and Shane really, well, they have an annual event now with, with the officers of Chick-fil-A where they spend time together. And they came back and shared some of what they learned. They yep. talked about this power of a, of an enterprise mindset, thinking about the organization as a whole. No, no matter where you are in the organization, working to think about how you build the whole team and make it go forward, building the whole organization. So today I asked David to kind of come back and share some more of what he's learned since then, uh, he, and I'll let him t- share some of that, but we're going to be talking about what it means to think and act like an owner think and act like an owner, an ownership mentality and building upon that of last year. So, uh, David, kind of just talk about what you've been going through, what you've been seeing recently that kind of brought us to this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you, Kevin. What I may do, if it's okay, just a little bit of context, if you're a listener, there are four of us. Kevin, Shane, myself, and Jeff Henderson, who have kind of come together. We have different backgrounds. Shane and I are both part of the Chick-fil-A organization, so you hear a lot about Chick-fil-A. But one of the things I love about having Kevin and Jeff in the mix, they have phenomenal experience uh, that is different. And so we we get, I think, some good diversity in that respect. But this may feel a little bit Chick-fil-A heavy. Uh, But Shane and I just had the privilege of going with our officer team up to the Harvard Business School. In fact, got back last night after three days up there and really, really fortunate that we get to do that. I think chick fil A's had a relationship with Harvard at different levels for a number of years. In the last couple of years, we've done uh, some just retreat together where we work with a portion of their faculty and go really, really deep on some strategy issues. And I got to tell you, I don't know if... if if anyone's ever had the privilege to kind of be up on their, that campus, but you can kind of feel it when you get up there. We know it's a privilege. You, you just sort of pay attention at a different level because yeah, you know you're there and you need to extract all the value you can out of it. Now, that's not to say uh, that's for everybody. There are all kind of places you can go and learn. And, and Harvard's not necessarily the best at everything. They're pretty good at strategy, but there, there are tons of places you can go that are easier to get to, don't cost as much. So, I, I, first of all, I just want to encourage people, figure out what's your Harvard. Uh, we're just really blessed that we had that privilege. And so, one of the things we really dove into, again, deep this year, by going through case studies, And uh, like we did a phenomenal case study on Netflix, there's been so much that has happened in that streaming business over the last couple of years. Uh, But we had good discussion as well, in this case, around uh, what does it mean to have an enterprise mindset or an organizational mindset? And you might say, as opposed to what? And I would say, well, versus uh, a team mindset or a project mindset or a department Mindset or a functional mindset. There's nothing wrong with those. You got to have that. But if we're going to come together and try to lead our organization effectively at the highest level, we we do have to sort of pull up and think bigger than our day to day world. Sometimes think about how all the parts come together and interact with one another. And that's that's kind of what we mean by an enterprise or organizational mindset.
0: You know what I what I value about that already. Just once again is it may not always be intentional how you got there, right? That project mindset when you join an organization is because you typically believe in the company you hope, but you get into your work, you get into your responsibilities, you get into what's required of you and you're focused and it can, it can almost create that tunnel vision that prevents you from seeing the broader perspective. And I think that's also a big part of it uh, that I, that I value about this conversation. Well, I think there's implications that, you, know, you and I talked about before we started the recording that I just wanted to run through with everyone listening. Um, and so we'll kind of jump in to really the first one you, you and I talked about, and that's succession and and what that means as an implication of thinking like an owner.
1: Yeah. And, and if I back up just a second, you don't want to diminish uh, the work on projects and teams and departments because That's really critical. It's just, if you're going to be, you know, we call this podcast, executive minds podcast. If you want to think at the highest level, whether you own your own business or you're, you're seeing your career progress uh, within a larger corporation, you have to sort of elevate up sometimes, you know, you got to be right there where the rubber meets the road on the, uh, thinking what's right in front of me. But sometimes you got to go up 30,000 feet. And, and so that's what we do as well. So when when you go up 30,000 feet, you got to think beyond the here and now. And you have to think, who is going to succeed me? It may not mean who's going to take my job. That is part of it. And so one of the things we have to do, if we, we have to think about who are our successors going to be Mm. One of the exercises, if for some reason I wasn't able to do my job, who'd take it today? And then it may be a separate list, but who are the people that I'm developing? I use a sports uh, analogy. Let's think baseball. Who are my minor leaguers? Who are the people that I'm I'm developing on the bench so they can come up and take my position on the field next? Because there may be another role for me, but it's not just my role in the broadest sense. It may be who do I hand this team over to? Who do I hand this project over to? Can I give you just a little personal example from Chick-fil-A? I led a cross-functional team that was designed to think about our customer experience and kind of got that team going for a couple of years. And then I handed it over to another lady, Kalila Cooper, And I said, hey, you know what? I absolutely believe she was part of the team, so she got to see it. I said, I think you're going to take this to a whole nother level, and she has. So handing over a team, it may be handing over a project. In some cases, it's just handing over an assignment. But you don't want to hold things so tight and view yourself as sort of an owner in an unhealthy sense. Ownership can be good. But possessive ownership is probably not good.
0: Yeah, there's a difference responsibility and and you know and, and and being territorial.
1: Yeah, that's right. If if all you can do is think about your project, your agenda, your team, your department, and you don't think about the interactions and 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 think about it from a thirty thousand foot organizational point of view, probably not. Um, in the absolute best interest of your organization.
0: You know, one of the other implications we talked about uh, that I think is really powerful is this idea of accepting or or being a part of prioritization for the organization. You know, in, in this, in this, sometimes this reality that there are times when your projects are the number one priority for the organization because of what the goals are and the vision. And there are times when you have to be okay with the disappointment a little bit of not being the number one priority or having resources taken from your from your projects to support another project. And I'd love to have you kind of speak to that a bit as well, David.
1: Yeah. Well, we happen to be a family-owned business. Now we've grown into a pretty large family-owned business, but we have members of the family that are part of these conversations with us. So it's kind of easy for us to picture the owner because we sit in the room with the owner. But I think each of us have to figure out, who's the owner now we may work for a we may be the owner we may work for a publicly traded organization and their shareholders but if you can imagine how would the owner view it and sometimes a particular project or team may be the high priority and other times it needs to be something else and if you look at it from their point of view you can get comfortable with the fact that you're not always the star of the show and yet you still play a critical role your role during this season may be more of a supporting role. We have a little bit of a value f- around excellence, and there's a lot of people that are wired for responsibility. So sometimes we feel like we're not doing our best if it's not the most important thing. And we're trying to learn how to get comfortable with that and figuring out, well, how do we support the thing that is most critical in this season?
0: Yeah. I'm. Um, you know, I, I think it makes me think about, you know, there are ways to engage that, that actually, you know, allow you to continue to step into that owner's mentality. If you're making an investment in your own business or your own family, for example, there are times when you are probably aggressively putting down saving for a financial goal. Um, and so let's so in a family context, well, in a work context. Yeah. I might say, Hey, we're going to spend a little less on marketing this year because we're trying to really, strengthen our infrastructure. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's going to require some systems. And you can step into it. One thing I've heard one thing I know you've done before is you know you've loaned out resources. You said, hey, what can we share with other people on our team?
1: Yeah. And I've been the beneficiary of others who've been willing to loan resources, but it it has to flow both ways. Because again, to be healthy, you gave a great example. You talked about systems. Let's say you've got a you've you've got some critical IT kind of needs. And you need to loan some people to that effort. Do it. It's ultimately in the, if it's in the best interest of the broader organization, it's going to be in your best interest and it's going to serve your customer best as well. So yes, you have to be willing to loan out. Uh, you'll, You'll benefit from that at times as well, which means we've had to go from thinking of people on our team as ours and recognize It all belongs to the broader organization, and that's a very healthy mindset shift. You'll sometimes hear organizations talk about there's a lot of politics here. That's an indication they may not be sharing like they need to share. There may not be uh, a culture of trust that would enable them to do that. So we've had to work really hard to create trust so that we are very comfortable loaning out or just giving resources to another effort or team.
0: Yeah. I worked for an organization at one point that, you know, the CEO said, Hey, I know I grew this organization by create, by fostering champions for different areas of the business. And that's helped us a lot, but now we have to shift our mentality. And until then we were experiencing a little bit of almost VP on VP violence was what we, what we would kind of refer to it in the organization because people were so uh, encouraged to be champions of their area that they struggled to relinquish because they saw it as winning and losing, yeah. and it was it was a culture shift, and, and and they've since made it an incredible shift, and they're flourishing. But it just took time to, to change the culture from one of, in you know, departmental or product champions to organizational champions.
1: Can I make it personal? Please, I have I have to ask myself: Am I showing up in my organization as someone that other people can trust? Hmm. Uh, or is the way that I interact with them, am I really uh, forthright with them, am I open, and am, am I transparent, am I honest, or do I ever say things or do things that would undermine trust? Because if you break trust um, or you don't have enough trust, sometimes it may not be trust just because you don't know each other well enough yet. Sure. Are you doing the things that breed trust? Because I find that trust is foundational to all of this. You know, if you and I are on a team and you got a need, and I I know you and I trust you, I may quickly cede to you. But if that's not the case, you know, I'm human, and you know, the dark side of my human nature may kick in.
0: No, that makes a ton of sense. And you know, and I think that's why like that's what, and that's why this podcast is so important. You know, I think that you might say, "Well, I come to work every day, Kevin, David. I work really hard." You know, I'm really engaged. I'm, I'm i what do you mean? What else is there for me to do? And that's why we want to kind of highlight this, because there are things as you grow your career with an organization or with your own business, things are going to have to happen. If you're the owner, you're gonna to have to help your team think this way. That's and, correct. And and if you are already a you know a leader who's been who grew a area. And now that has required ascension for you and succession for others, and you know a delegation or transfer of responsibilities. Things have changed. You know, one of the other things you know that I think we can do is we can share learnings and best practices. And and obviously, you all just got back from Harvard from doing something like that. So I'd love to hear hear your thoughts on that, David.
1: Well, it's interesting. I mentioned we dug into a case on Netflix, and one of the founders of Netflix was Reed Hastings. A lot of people know that story. You know, it started out as a place where you could. Go get a, um, uh, a a DVD shipped to you. You watched it. You shipped it back. They tried to play off of some of the things that they found irritated Blockbuster customers, like late fees and everything. But it, it went from you would actually go get it out of a almost like a vending machine to they mailed it to you to now it's streaming. Now they're into content production. But Reed Hastings, one of the founders, he acknowledged. He had previously had a successful software company. They did really well. He sold it, and it was actually some of the capital that he he made from selling the software company that became the seed money for Netflix. And now you track the Netflix story, and they are revolutionizing uh, entertainment and content production but he said he knew he could not carry the culture from a software company forward into Netflix it would not work they were really trying to do hard things they were breaking new ground and they had to have a highly collaborative workforce and they had to have mm-hmm. a lot of transparency and that was not the culture that he had created in a software company so i say good for him for recognizing that and for working really hard to create a culture they came up with a it was originally Originally, a PowerPoint presentation that you can Google, uh, it's, it's the Netflix culture deck. And mm-hmm. some of our listeners may just want to Google it and check it out. It grew, but it just showed that they were very focused over time to create the culture in their organization, a rapidly growing organization that was going to enable them to, to work together to achieve the super hard stuff they were set, uh, you know, they had decided to take on.
0: One of the ones from that that I love that I've, I've actually adopted is we are not a family, but we are a team. Yeah. You know, I love that line because, I was like, I was, you know, because as a person who, who loves the people he works with, it's easy for me to create a familial environment. Yeah. In most families, communication is awful <laughs> and accountability is awful. But on teams, you expect accountability because of a common goal. And yeah. I, just, I just love that a lot. So, talk about some of the other things you've seen when, especially when it comes to working across departments. I'm I'm assuming there's some other implications that you know that you've seen just building cross-functional work projects, goals. You know, might work for all of us as we think like owners.
1: Yeah, this may feel obvious, but I think it's actually critical and it's foundational to having success. If you talk about cross-functional, or you talk about departments inherent in that is you're going to have different skills, you're going to have different points of view. and that actually has the potential to be an enormous asset. It could also work against you if you can't find that thing that binds you together and gives you commonality. And so I think what what you have to go back to is a purpose. Do you have common purpose? Is there a, a shared common vision? And do you have uh, some objectives that you can all buy into? So uh, don't take for granted that when you pull people from different parts of a business into a team or a project, that you're going to always start exactly on the same place. You you got to shore that up. And so uh, where we've had success, it's it's by uh, going to common purpose, going to a shared vision, and then ultimately going to some of the objectives that we think we can all kind of buy into, then we can bring all our difference together. And it, it's kind of like the orchestra at all, all those different instruments playing different pieces comes together, you know, and, and, it, and you get a beautiful output.
0: You know, and, and you said this a moment ago and they hit me really hard as well. And it's that cultivating trust, which means building relationships with people you you don't work with all the time. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think that that's such a critical implication because it requires effort, that an intentionality. Yep. Just for all practical purposes, if you are as busy as I'm assuming you are, yep. And the responsibilities and projects you're overseeing are as significant as they are, you have to. That that just is not going to happen. You know. Yeah. yeah you know, whoever you travel with, you know, for projects or or, or trips for work. Well, that's going to be different, but. Once again, if we don't operate together, but we do our work and one another, I have to go across and make that effort. I'd love to hear some of the things you've done, David, just to make that happen.
1: Yeah, well, if I can, I may speak to what I experienced just this week up at Harvard. I think it's something they figured out. We we took a team of about 30, but they split us into groups of five. And so we were all in classroom together. But they called your five a living group. And in the dorms, they actually have built the dorms so that your rooms are near one another and you share kind of a common kitchen living room area where you can sit down. There's actually a conference table and sort of a living room setting so that you can sit down and have either formal or informal conversations. We sat as uh, together as a living group in the classroom. And then they built in time for us to connect outside of the classroom. And by design, it was people I don't know you know, work with, there was, I, I'm in a kind of a, a marketing innovation kind of role, but we had someone from legal and someone from finance and someone from international, you know, kind of all coming together. Some I knew really, really well. Cause I've, you know, I've been there a long time. Some I did not know as well. And we found enormous value. We did things, Kevin, like even over meals. Hey, tell me what's happened in your family's life. That's what's awesome. happening with your kids? The more, you know, people and their context, uh, the better your position to do hard work with them, and Indeed. so, and, and that's just brilliant design uh, on behalf of of the the university and 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 our team in helping to take advantage of that. But I got to know people at a different level. It makes me much more willing uh, to engage with them, to value their point of view. Uh, to trust them, and so I would say to our listeners, what's the application? If you don't minimize the value of building really meaningful personal relationships, so that you uh, you will be able to do hard things together and 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 have trust.
0: Yeah, you know, and as we get kind of closer to the end of this podcast, we have a few more we're going to run through quickly uh, because I think you know I think you'll get them fairly easily. But you know, this idea of redefining what personal success looks like for you and your job, you know, and and, us, uh, no, and and there's a reality that when you are trying to be like an owner, success cannot mean the sales team hit their goal because that's my responsibility. That's a part of it. But if you looked up and saw that, You know, you were losing customers as fast as you were gaining them in. That's not success. You have to change how you view what winning is for you, and broaden that to marry what the organization needs.
1: Yeah, I'll go back to uh, a book that uh, another one of our mentors, Chef Henderson, references in his book. Know what you're for, but he talks about Ryan Holiday: ego is the enemy. Mm -hmm. And you know, Kevin, we're all driven. We've got big goals. We've got uh, development plans, but when we show up, we still have to be willing to sort of set our ego aside for the good of our, our teammates, our coworkers and the, and the broader organization. And when we do that, I think that's when the organization and our peers get our best. Uh, and, and that means I can't run around acting like I'm the star of the show all the time. Mm -hmm. I need to. pour just as much of myself into helping others when it's their turn. And mm. then they're more likely to turn around and do the same for me. And when you get that, I think that it, that's when you get to another level. Just think about how, you know, think about how military works, you know, their life's on the line and they know how critical it is. That, you know, you hear band of brothers, they're there for one another. They make ultimate sacrifice for one another because that's how you ultimately get the very best outcomes. And these are people that are incredibly driven. So there's a place for that. You want to, you want to create that culture. I'll say this about Netflix as well. It's not like they figured their culture out all at once and they were done. They started a conversation that has been running for years because as the organization's grown, it's had to evolve. But I think this is an element that I would encourage our listeners to think about how does this come into play in your organization, on your team, talk about it and it'll probably evolve over the course of time as well.
0: You mentioned that we have have a common shared purpose, mission, objectives, but there's something else you talked about having in common as well before we recorded. Would you mind sharing that?
1: Talking about customer or Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, we had really good conversation this week just making sure we were all clear on how the different stakeholders and our business uh, come into play. And one of the uh, professors talked about who's your primary customer. He asked us these strategy questions. That was one of them. And it kicked off a wonderful conversation. Chick-fil-A it's pretty easy. Um, we're a restaurant business. So the customer is the person that comes in and they're willing to give money for the food and experience they have we get that but there are other people at play we have operators they're the owner operators of our restaurants and so uh, I work for our support center based in Atlanta but our goal is to do everything we can to support our operators so they can be successful as they engage with our customers so you got this you got this system and you're going to find that there's tension in that system what Maybe for the good of customer may actually be challenging or create some stress for operators, but you have to lean that way sometimes. And there are other times you have to do things that really help our our operators. And it it, it I'll give you a real personal example of we took coleslaw off the menu a few years ago. I still hear from customers. About that, even family members, you know, it's kind of a sore subject. (laughs) We did it because we were not selling a lot of it and we put a lot of energy into it. So that was a tilt towards our operators. Let's relieve some pressure in their restaurant. There are other times we might add a menu item that we know is going to create stress for the restaurant but there's a lot of customer demand and we want to make sure that our our offering our menu offering uh, is meaningful to customers so this past year we added mac and cheese Customers which which is it. delicious. Thank you. Custom- <laughs> hey, customers love it and we're selling a lot, but it, it's hard on the operator. So there's there's just always tension there. Yeah, and, for sure. So I used an example that people might be able to relate to, but you're going to have your own example. You're mm-hmm. not going to solve the tension. You just have to
0: figure out how to manage it over the course of time. And once again, this sounds... Sometimes it sounds commonsensical when you have an owner's mindset. However, if you're the accounting team, who's your customer? In a team context, it's probably the executives. It might be department leaders. If you're the sales team, it's very clear. But guess what? If you're IT, who's your team? Who's your clients? Oh, it's all the other employees. so, So I think that is where when you don't have an owner's mindset, it shows up that a common definition of the customer can really get lost really easily.
1: We even said we need to be careful using the term internal customer lest it confuse who the customer is. Indeed, because anytime you ever lose sight of the customer, the person who is uh you know they're they're the ones who help generate revenue for your organization, uh, there's risk that you could lose your way. Uh, so maybe you need another label for those other critical internal partners you have but that was a conversation we had. Let's don't confuse let's don't ever lose sight of who the customer is. we got to make sure we take care of our other key stakeholders and partners within the business.
0: Yeah, and this last thing, I wouldn't even call it I wouldn't even call it an implication. I call it more of an opportunity. This idea of anticipation. Would you speak to that yeah. a bit?
1: Yeah. So if if you're going to lead your team, your project, your business and you have an owner's mindset, uh, you have to look out. And I draw a little picture on the board a lot of times within our team saying, you, you know, you you can't lose sight of what's right in front of you and you got to look midterm. But we talked about one of the most critical things we need to be doing right now is thinking about what's 2030 look like. And maybe that's too far for you, but you got to get beyond this business plan if you're going to have an owner's mindset and you're going to have a an organizational point of view and you have to look out uh, we could probably do a great podcast some someday on a SWOT analysis. You know, strength, mm-hmm. weakness, opportunity, threats. But what are those that are out there on the horizon, uh, and how do you prepare for them best you can? And so, anticipating either opportunities or threats, and not uh, not uh, kind of sitting back, but leaning into those. I, I call it sometimes. How do you read the weak signals? Mm. Even if it's exploration, you may not know enough to make a big bet, but you can lean in and you can do some more discovery. That is a critical element of uh, this owner's mindset.
0: Now, and, and so what I want to do, I mean, obviously wrap this up and say thank you, David, for sharing uh, about your experience at Harvard. And that's incredible. I, I even want to encourage everybody, if you separate, no matter where you are in the organization, can you Change your mindset. Yes. Can you get beyond thinking about the project and think about what the organizational goals are this year, next year, five years from now? Yes. Can you get a line on the common purpose and mission? Yes. Can you redefine success for who you are? Yes. You know, it's, it's, can you share learning? Can you loan out resources or even loan yourself out into your access capacity? You know, uh, capacity. So it's like, yes, you can. This is how you actually put yourself in many ways for opportunities to ascend.
1: No question. That's how you're going to create value. And I guess my final comment would be people that have that mindset, those are the people I want on my team. They don't abdicate their responsibility for their workload, but they think at a higher level. And uh, I, I totally agree. Those are the folks that are likely to be given
0: more responsibility over the course of time. Exactly, because transparently no organization wants to teach you how to do this. That, and, I th- and I think this is, I think organizations might encourage it and remind you of it, but they do not want to have to teach you this. They do not want to have to remind you that a touchdown is a touchdown, essentially, right? I mean, that we were talking about, you know, because I, I think we can say, hey, well, what's, what's a win? So I want to tell you that for many you who are looking for opportunities to grow their career and get that promotion or get that upward mobility opportunity, Sometimes it can start as simply as how do I help the entire organization win, not just my department. Yep. Awesome. Well, David, thank you again for your time. Thank you for your experience. I appreciate hanging out with you, buddy.
1: It's my pleasure, Kevin. You are the man.
0: Hey, I don't know. Goodness gracious. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You give your time, your effort to communicate and hang out with us and allow us to pour into you. And you feed that, give us that feedback. You let us know how we're serving you. Let us know how we can do more for you as you move forward. And one great way to do that, leave a rating or review on Apple podcast. We want to know how we're doing because feedback is our friend, just like it's your friend. And that's, it goes a long way to improving this podcast. Also, subscribe. Uh, Subscribe whenever I have a podcast, follow the podcast on Spotify. We have Google Play, uh, Stitcher Radio, wherever you consume your content. We are typically gonna be there. And the last thing I'd say is something very simple. Uh, go to our website. If you go to executiveminds.co, it takes you straight to the podcast page. We can find a summary of this show. We talked about things like Netflix and their uh, culture deck. You're going to find that in the show notes. We talked about a book called For...
1: And Ego is the Enemy.
0: And Ego is the Enemy from Ryan Holiday. You're going to find that in our show notes. So if you're driving, if you're working out right now, don't worry about it. Our job to take notes. We, we put that on us to make that a bit easier for you so you can activate and share this podcast with your team um, or go deeper on your own. So uh, thank you for that. All right. Uh, with that being said, hey, we hope to have you join us here next time on Executive Minds.